With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world, especially around the greater Midwest. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. The reason I said that about the Midwest is my uh, my co-pilot this week, he doesn't even know he's a co-pilot yet. He's never flown on this airplane. I hope he uh, knows which buttons to push. But Patrick Engel from blueandgold.com, part of the on 3 .com empire. Welcome to the Tim May podcast for the first time. Thanks for having me, Tim. I'm excited. And by, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, blue and gold, that's short for Notre Dame, or is it the Notre Dame? Uh, what, which is it, Patrick? <laughs> yeah, I don't think Notre Dame is going to be, uh, be, be filing that. Uh, you know, it's, it's it, you know, Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's. <laughs> you can that's say it's it, stupid. That's yeah. okay. <laughs> you can say it's stupid. I'm saying it's stupid. I'm, I've been trying to put that on my. Uh, Twitter uh, Twitter timeline at least once a day. The you know just to see what happens, but uh, but I digress, man. Um, you know the reason I got you on. I explained it before we started here. Boy, there this this Ohio State Notre Dame have played so few times you know in history, uh, but Notre Dame's had a hard time catching up to Ohio State the last many times they've played in history. But uh, uh, this one is this one is shaping up the season opener for 2022. Every day, it seems like there's something new being stirred into this pot here, this booyah base that's going to be this uh, renewal of a what should have been a, a, a yearly rivalry, uh, but it just uh, comes and goes. Uh, we all know it started in 1935 and 36 when Notre Dame swept the game at Ohio Stadium and at Notre Dame Stadium. And I think since then, for the most part, Ohio State's kind of held its way in the on-again, off-again situation. But now, all of a sudden, here's Marcus Freeman a guy I've known since he was 17 years old, a fellow that played football at Ohio State was a, a linebacker of great repute. Suddenly he's the head coach at Notre Dame. And, uh, man, this battle has been joined. Uh, it, it does have a – this does have a little bit of a different feel to it, doesn't it, Patrick? Yeah, especially after, you know, getting some interesting June fodder with uh, with Marcus Freeman last week. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure it got some – some folks up in arms around around Columbus and everything, but hey, if, if nothing else, it's more juice for a, a game that you know certainly doesn't lack it on its own. But uh, you know, the more you can add to the you know the suspense, the hype, the excitement, whatever it might be, the better for you know what's probably one of the yeah. This reminds me more of like NASCAR NASCAR pit stops where they come in, they they just got fuel about ten laps ago, but they're trying to pack more fuel in there, you know, and uh, this needs no more fuel. But you're right, I mean. You know, with Marcus, it was like, uh, that's not what I said. Well, that's what I said, but it's not what I meant. Well, wait a minute. That's what I meant, but that's not what I really meant. You know, uh, it was kind of an interesting situation because clearly, you know, we've been through this before with 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 other people. And uh, same way when a guy leaves Ohio State, you know, uh, you got Al Washington Jr. sitting up there, you know, uh, at, at Notre Dame. I mean, you're now selling Notre Dame, you know, just like uh, when you show up at Ohio State, you've been an assistant coach like Al Washington Jr., for example, was at Michigan. He's now he was then selling Ohio State, so you know it is what it is in that regard, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I, no matter when you, if you read the the initial quote from Freeman in the the CBS piece, and then listen to the full thing he said on 
uh, the radio with uh, old teammate Bobby Carpenter. Definitely a strategic play to pick when and where to go uh, yes. make those clarifications there. But it, it, when you look at both of those, sure, I think he's, you know, insinuating, implying something or whatever. But at the same time, like, this is something in what he's touching on as far as academic rigor and academic, you know, potential or whatever you want to call it, is something the Notre Dame head coach should be leaning into when we've heard him really lean into and, and probably more than Brian Kelly did. And yeah. from the perspective of what Freeman's trying to do and what he's trying to sell, that's probably a good thing, even if, you know, the phrasing or, you know, way he put that you know, maybe could have been a little better, but at the same time, I'm not really sure it was anything that was, you know, nothing you shouldn't be leaning into or anything that was gravely offensive in a sense. Yeah, not malicious. He was basically selling Notre Dame is what he's doing. I mean, uh, and it's totally understandable. Like I said, I've known him since he was 17. I've always liked Marcus Freeman a lot, man. He's uh, one of those quality individuals. He was he was an interesting guy as a player and even as an assistant coach. He wasn't really what I'd call super vocal with the media, but he was always interesting to talk to. You follow my, what I'm saying there, you know, not, not really a me-me guy. It was uh, always about the team, et cetera. So, I'm really looking forward to this uh, for, for to this game for, and that just adds to it. You know, it just it, it is interesting because a lot of people thought the way things worked out there that it could have been Luke Fickle being the head coach there if Notre Dame had waited another month, but instead it was his top assistant uh, from the year before who ends up getting the job. And you know, I'm just curious how is that uh, how is that, how was that taken by Notre Dame fans or by you guys who you know cover Notre Dame the media making a guy who's never been a head coach before the head coach of one of the premier programs in the country, you know, and all that that means. Yeah, it's definitely the, I don't think it's lost to anyone in the fan base or among us, you know, folks who are around the team that it's a gigantic gamble in the sense that he was a power five defensive coordinator for one year. And well, I guess if you want to count co-DC at Purdue for a year, you can, but that wasn't exactly anything that I don't think he's going to be highlighting on his resume that year. No. That were not particularly good. But I think there's a sense of like, you know, it's in, in the, in this among the fans too. And, and among us uh, beat writer folks that sure it's, it's a risk, but it's a bigger risk not to do it because of what he was able to show you in a year here. And even back in the previous 10 years at that point as a coach, before he got hired as DC here of, how he relates to guys, how he can get the most out of guys, what he can do recruiting wise to elevate this is like continue trying to reach the summit that, you know, the Alabamas and the Georgias and Ohio States keep raising that. Yeah. I, I think it's been, and I think this is really what you've seen in the last seven months is that there's the idea with him that there's a path to a ceiling that's probably higher than where Kelly had it. And that's a risk to pass on, even if you're acknowledging, yeah, this could go a lot wrong and all the stability and the consistency that Brian Kelly had built up here in the last five years could go bottom out. And then you're back stuck where you were when you had to hire Kelly to clean it up in in 2010. But I think at least it's in a spot to be able to take that chance. And given how Freeman has understood the place and kind of gotten what to sell. Like we actually talked about, he's selling Notre Dame there. And part of that is leaning into the academics as a positive instead of a, you know, a hindrance. So I think when you look at all of that between how he's grasped the place in a pretty short amount of time, 
from being an outsider, like not someone who grew up here or went here or coached here before. And then the ability to show that there's a path forward, a higher level to go to in recruiting that they've been able to at least seemingly be on the right track toward and building this 23, 2023 class. Like, I think that's the upside that you were, you were looking to, uh, to find when you hired Freeman. And obviously we have, we have no idea how it's going to go on the field. Like he can't, win a game in, in April or May. But so far, I think is, you know, as cliche as the honeymoon phase and excitement can be and contrived or, or whatever. Like, I think there's been some validation as much as there can be in this time uh, yeah. among the fans of like this. I agree. I mean, yeah. move. second half of that game with Oklahoma State notwithstanding, right? <laughs> I mean, exactly. exactly. And yeah. I think people are willing to look past or maybe not look past, but acknowledge some of the like, general situation with that, even if it's something like, yeah, a reminder that he's still a first-time head coach. I'm not sure he had his full staff in place at that point either, right? I mean, that's, yeah. you know, all kinds of things there. But I, I, I wanted to touch with you. I mean, uh, uh, in that regard, it's interesting because, I mean, I've, I've been around for a long time. Tom Clements still haunts my dreams because uh, I, was a, I grew up an Alabama fan, moved to Texas when I was 11, but, you know, I moved up here in 1976 to go to the Ohio State University. I wonder if I get any money for that. Um, Careful for copyright infringement here. You know, seriously, if you say the Ohio State University, you're promoting the, I should get some NIL money from that, the way I'm looking at it. So I'm going to look into that after we're done, Patrick. But, uh, but, the, but the bottom line is, I remember Notre Dame, you know, has made, like a lot of schools, it made, has made some, as you look back on them in retrospect, some big mistakes uh, from a hiring standpoint, Jerry Faust comes immediately to mind. Went from Cincinnati Moeller High School to Notre Dame as a head coach. Things did not work out. Ty Willingham, things really did not work out. Uh, I thought Brian Kelly, for example, like you said, and what I'm leading to here is kind of a uh, an interesting uh, thing I've read into this over the last seven months of the way you've been, the way you put it all together there. I think Brian Kelly got them to a certain level. And I think that he got them back on definitely the the major uh, major stage nationally. But it just seemed like he had a, he hit a ceiling there. And I don't know if you agree with that or not. But you know, to get to that next level, what just Marcus Freeman has done in the last several months recruiting is evidence that maybe that change needed to be made. You know, because what sets Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia. And Clemson, for the most part, apart right now is recruiting that top level athlete on a big time consensus scale. And do you do you see a glimmer there that tells you, well, at least in that regard, maybe Notre Dame has gotten it right? Yeah, I think that's part of the ceiling, like I talked about, of like, all right, showing the fan base that even if this is a giant risk that who knows, we might look up in two years and see this is closer to a Jerry Faust repeat based on on-field results that despite that dice roll a little bit, there's a level that Freeman as a recruiter can take them as far as talent acquisition, which we know this is really what it comes down to. Yes. That Kelly and that structure probably wasn't going to quite go to, even though they had just signed a top 10 class that uh, 2022 that was largely assembled before he left for LSU. Yes. And I, I think why there was a little bit of like baseline kind of always existing 
antsiness, consternation, whatever you might want to call it, even with going 54 and nine in Kelly's last five years, even with making the playoff twice. And just the kind of the idea of like, is it going to get any better than this? And even though it seems like a dumb question to ask, considering there's probably 125 other FBS teams that would kill to be in that spot at all. This is a place that still measures itself on wanting to win national titles. And that's the standard and it's nothing else. And that's what the fan base is used to and going to hold them to. And I don't, even if it's been, you know, since 1988, since they last won one, I, I think that's still the, the measure of what it's going to be. And I think just the kind of slow acknowledgement that maybe that wasn't really going to, like there wasn't really anything to cling to even in those really strong five years that it could get up to that kind of summit. And that I think Freeman's given them a couple of things of at least hope of like this class that right now is number two was number one until Ohio state just rolled in three top 50 receivers in the class and, and passed them there. But in the 2024, uh, early on, number one in the the three uh, team rankings. Like, yeah, that's the kind of talent acquisition that I think they've been really wanting to see. And that even if you know recruiting had taken a little bit better of a step in the last couple of years under Kelly, probably wasn't going to be at that height in any kind of consistent manner as far as top five classes more often than not. And yeah, that's that's been the biggest win of the honeymoon first off season. And really, that was the biggest thing he could win at is proving like right away before he even coaches a game, he can take this recruiting thing to a higher level as far as and get just more depth of elite, higher end top 100 talent in here. And I think he's been able to do that. Dude, it's got to give Notre Dame fans, though, a great feeling to know that uh, right now Notre Dame's rated ahead of LSU in recruiting, doesn't it? And that's why Brian Kelly went to LSU's because now he can get those real players, uh, those few guys he was missing I mean, it, it, you got to be a lot of people got to be sitting up there and just uh, like just laughing, right? Oh, the the shade and fruit among the, the fan base in that regard particularly is, uh, you know, it, it could fuel it could fuel a rocket ship. So yeah, yeah, we got a lot of fuel floating around here, man. We, you know what? And with with the price of uh, gasoline being what it is, you and I ought to jump right into that market, that commodities market. Hey, mm-hmm. uh, uh, last couple of things before we move on. What 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 what's the biggest thing that Notre Dame or that Notre Dame that that uh, that Marcus Freeman and his staff, which includes James Laurinaitis now as what a graduate assistant. Uh, That's right. Yeah, uh, interesting there too. I mean, James, man, one of the great players ever played at Ohio State, just like Marcus. Uh, what is the biggest thing they've got to get done before September the third, from a just a football team standpoint, to to be basically to have a shot in Ohio Stadium? Yeah, it really comes down to what does the offense with quarterback Tyler Buckner look like in fall camp and can it inspire some kind of feeling of this can be an explosive unit that can at least hang with and put some kind of game pressure on Ohio state or or really any team. Like it's even, I'd be saying the same thing if they were opening up with USC instead of closing with USC, that's really what it is where Buckner was a top 100 consensus uh, recruit in the 21 cycle even though he only played 13 games of high school football because of California didn't have a season due to COVID he tore an ACL, but really, really intriguing ceiling for him all throughout that. And that one you saw a little bit last year when he kind of surprisingly played in 10 games as a freshman is kind of a change of pace QB. Yeah. saw a lot of upside with him as a really high level athlete, really good runner, but some inconsistencies throwing the ball that 
maybe you would have expected for a guy with that little experience, but how much he can progress in that area as far as making reads, being comfortable, being more consistently accurate, being able to get some zip on making all the throws as much progress as he can make in those areas in this offseason is really going to be kind of the key of is the offense a, a good unit that can pour on points against you know whatever defenses but you know, won't be quite enough to win a shootout if you have to do it and you know in this age of college football you're going to have to win one of those at least once or twice a year so that's that's really it and i think spring practice was a good sign that he's getting or progressing toward an area where he can be a pretty reliable quarterback that helps a team one where it's not, you know, winning because he just moves him down the field or winning in spite of him or anything like that, but he's making it happen. And you saw a lot more consistency as a passer, a lot more comfort in the offense, just kind of letting things come to him. So we'll see how he continues to build off of that in the fall, but you want to see kind of a consistent, you know, as linear as you can reasonably expect path from him from, you know, raw, intriguing kind of change of pace QB to legitimate starter who can pilot a good offense and score some points when you need to and, and be able to win a shootout. When you have the ball, go score touchdowns. That's the, that's the key anymore to really be competitive big time at the top level of major college football. Uh, and the defense is so hamstrung in a lot of ways. And, uh, yeah, the guys who still can't hang on to that uh, uh, ball control kind of mentality, even though they are spreading the field and stuff, uh, they're going to become dinosaurs pretty quick. Marcus Freeman, I don't think, is a dinosaur. And like you said, I think he's got his staff in place now. We'll see what happens there. I want to get your take on this, though, like you just pointed out a while ago. The thing that stands out to me about Notre Dame is more and more Notre Dame and Ohio State are recruiting the same guys, you know, and – that just shows that uh, – and it hadn't always been that way. Maybe the occasional guy, but uh, they're they're not rubbing elbows. They're throwing elbows, right, uh, from a recruiting standpoint. You can see that from where you are, right? Absolutely, and, and that's another thing that I think is kind of giving the fan base a little bit more energy there and kind of helped them buy into that recruiting ceiling where it's not like, oh, yeah, uh, okay, Ohio State offered a kid. Well, all right, now, not nice knowing you or – you know, you just don't have any expectation of, of beating them out. It's one word, you know, they can at least land a couple of haymakers, even though, yeah, they would have loved to get, have gotten Carnell Tate who just committed to Ohio state. And yeah, I don't really think it had been trending well for Notre Dame for a little while there, but yeah, you know, even in, in this 23 class alone, Brennan Vernon, a guy that, you know, Ohio state was pursuing last year from Ohio uh, who committed to uh, Notre Dame there. Uh, I know he's not exactly top of board at receiver considering the four guys they have in the class, but Rico Flores in this class, another top 150 guy out of California uh, who's slated to visit Ohio state. And, you know, there's at least enough interest there. And that's probably, I think a good sign for Notre Dame that, you know, you're, you're targeting that kid. And right now seem like the favorite to get him when he announces that month, next month, I should say. Yeah. So the more you see those kind of battles of, you know, Ohio state on the offer sheet, or Alabama on the offer sheet, or Georgia, and ones they're winning, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it also peaks this uh, peaks this rivalry, man. You know, like I said, this on again, long off again, on again rivalry is uh, is picked up steam in that regard. You, from your vantage point, you're sitting out there. You do, you know, you keep up with a lot of stuff uh, and contribute greatly to the on3.com calls. You know, from your blueandgold.com spot. But uh, 
just what's your take on Ohio State right now? What if you had to summarize what Ohio State is all about, you know, from a recruiting standpoint and just from a powerhouse standpoint, how would you explain it to people? Yeah, from my outsiders, but college football reporters perspective, it's it just seems like this has been the place that's cultivated like the most competitive talent rich uh, kind of situation as, as you'll find anywhere where it's like, there's no, 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 no off days, no anything where every kid that walks in there is competing with, you know, 10 other top 100 recruits or, you know, you have, like, if you have one bad game, you're kind of sweating it because you know, the fans will be clamoring for the next five-star who's a freshman or who wants to get the, the chance there. So, Oh yeah. Uh, that kind of when you can create that kind of situation where you're lining up those guys who are coming in just to want to get a chance to to be part of that. Uh, I think that's a pretty, pretty enviable situation to have there because they, and they see the pro track record development and the contending for for national titles every year. And I imagine some of the the speed bumps they've hit on defense the last couple of years have been kind of sore spots for the the fan base. But, you know, like I mentioned, Notre Dame's five-year run would be great for you know, 125 other teams would like that. I think maybe 128 <laughs> would uh, would like to be where Ohio State is. And ultimately, I think they're one of the three or four teams you kind of look at and say, like, all right, these are the ones that are just kind of continually raising the summit of where you kind of have to get if you want to join that group and try to win a title or legitimately compete for it instead of just going to the playoff and, you know, hey, nice to see you. And, you know, you're out of there in the semis with a 20-point loss. So, yeah, I, I, if I had to sum it up, it's there's only a handful of maybe three or four teams that have that power and are at the center of continuing to push the summit upward, and, and I'd say that they're one of them. Is Ohio State now seeing, you know, Ohio State under Woody Hayes, the world-famous three yards in a cloud of dust offense that he uh, perpetrated there for, for decades – is Ohio State now seen from your vantage point as just a top-level passing offense? I mean, uh, you know, just give me your view from that vantage because they led the nation last year in total offense, uh, and yet I thought were average running the ball, below average running the ball against maybe a couple of the really good defenses they face. I think anybody can look at statistics and see that. But is it is it seen as just like this – Aerial circus. What what what's the perception? Yeah, you know, aerial circus might be almost like sounding like it's a you know kind of a mess, but no, I don't I don't think it's you know a mess at all. It's you look at the collection of QBs that they brought in. Where, yeah, uh, what is it? Not Jack Miller or Kyle McCord. Sorry, we're a, yeah, a borderline five star, if not a five star in the twenty one class is like right. An and afterthought now because you think of going uh, Stroud for another year, and then all right. They've already got Rayola, and that's kind of the next big thing where it's, all right, you, it's a pretty nice luxury to have a borderline five-star QB that's just, like, doesn't even get that much excitement because of who's there now and who's coming in after him. Yeah. But, yeah, and then you look at the collection of receivers that they've had. And, you know, I, I know Utah was down a bunch of defensive backs and kind of struggling through that Rose Bowl, but look, anybody who can put up 347 yards like Jackson Smith and Jigba did, like, that's not a fluke as far as talent, and that doesn't happen if you're not doing a lot of things right as far as passing offense, passing design, being able just to get your best players the ball consistently. I think they've been 
pretty adept at being able to do that over the years. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at kind of Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley. So now USC under Lincoln Riley and in Ohio state under uh, Ryan day and, and uh, Kevin Wilson is like, these are the kind of premier offensive uh, operations here, especially right. passing, passing, passing offense operations. And it's just like, you don't really ever have a chance to think, Oh yeah, we're going to hold them to 10 points. It's all right. Maybe we keep them under 30 and let's hope we score 35. Yeah. I always, I said last year, if you get to 35, uh, you've got a shot at beating Ohio state. That, that was last year. Now I'm not sure. I think this offense could be much better because I think the running game is going to be much better, which is going to be interesting. But like you mentioned, Kevin Wilson, you know, I mean, former head coach at, uh, at uh, Indiana before that, the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, you know, uh, but uh, all these minds, Brian Hartline, you know, what, what is the perception of Brian Hartline, the wide receiver coach out there now? And, uh, you know, he's now the uh, part and parcel of the passing game too, in, in terms of his design, but uh, what would, you know, he's a guy that's turned down a lot of offers to go a lot of other places, including back to the NFL as a coach and stuff. But uh, uh, I mean, the proof's in the pudding, right, with the with the guys have just announced. 100%. I think it's kind of hard to look at anybody else right now as the the best to currently be coaching receivers in college football with and being able to recruit them uh, this week being kind of proof in the pudding right there. So, yeah, yeah and, and that's uh, not – really a surprise that he's been pretty selective about where he wants that next move to be. Cause you know, the more he keeps this up, uh, you know, the, the more you think of, you know, the higher next step you can take is, and that, you know, there's not going to be too many of those next steps that are unattainable for him. The more he yeah. keeps staying here, keeps developing guys and keeps having a strong hand in, uh, you know, the, probably the best receiver situation of the last two, three years that something that you don't really think is going to stop. So from a Notre Dame fan standpoint in particular, you know, in the interactions you had with the fan base on the message boards and everything, like I think they're particularly envious of it just because of how that position has been kind of a problem area, a weak spot at times for Notre Dame, where right now they have eight scholarship receivers after signing just one last year. And one of those guys is a walk on last year that got a scholarship as a, a graduate. And still kind of a spot that gives you some concern this year. And especially when you have to play uh, Ohio state and USC and presumably keep up with both of those teams. So, yeah, I know, I know Notre Dame fans in particular are very, very envious of what Brian Hartline has going uh, with Ohio state's receiver room right now. Hey, last thing, Patrick, I get this question all the time. So so I'm going to ask you, even got this question on the radio a little while ago when I was doing a little radio hit with somebody, uh, is this a bigger game for Ohio State or Notre Dame, a more important game for Ohio State or Notre Dame on September the 3rd? I hate that kind of question because it's obviously obviously huge for both. Ohio State, I think, is perceived – I'm going to kind of give you part of your answer. You may not agree with me. <laughs> Ohio State is kind of perceived as being, a, I think, a little bit ahead of the game in terms of its offense – in terms of the changes it's made with Jim Knowles on the defensive side reminds me of 2019 when Jeff Halfley came in from the San Francisco 49ers and like that changed the defense. You just get the sense that uh, the, there's a lot of talent there. It just needed a new direction and stuff. Meanwhile, Notre Dame clearly has made a coaching change because their one guy left, but uh, clearly Marcus Freeman is a first year head coach. There will always be learning pains, no matter how you, put it all together and stuff. And like we pointed out, Notre Dame is still maybe in a little bit of flux offensively and the 
how good it's going to be, uh, you know, in its new under the new regime and with basically a new full time starting quarterback. But just so answer that question. I mean, is there an, is there a right answer that one that it's more important for one team than it is the other? I don't know if there's a right answer or even a clear answer. Yeah, it's a really there isn't, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It is actually a really good question just because of you know, the stakes are meaningful for both of them. Where Ohio State, it's like if you come and are able to handle this and especially do it with some kind of convincing manner, like I think that's a pretty good early statement that like this is one of those teams that actually can get back to the 2014 heights instead of, you know, you've what, whatever it's been since then, if it's a – you know, a run game that doesn't quite function, a defense that kind of springs too many leaks, like those kind of obstacles and whatever else it, it might have been in between there that uh, stopped them short of that, either in the playoff or in a random game against a, a big time West team. Like yeah. if you're able to see the strides that Jim Knowles can make on defense, which I'm uh, a buyer and based on what he was able to do at, at Oklahoma State and having seen what Oklahoma State did last year before the, the Fiesta Bowl. And then the collection of, offensive skill position talent that they have that's just you know bordering on unguardable like that all sounds like a, a good mix but you know to see it against a team that's going to be in the preseason top 10 maybe the top five like I think that'd be a, quite a statement of like yeah there's not a glaring weakness per se or at least as big of a weakness like a, a run game was last year in 2018 I think it was yeah or a defense was in, you know, 2020 or even parts of, of last year. But yeah. for Notre Dame, like, I don't know that it's one of those things where this game has to be a referendum on what Freeman is going to be, or even what Tyler Buckner is going to be, or even what the secondary that is kind of a problem spot last year, which not exactly what you want to have going into an opener against Ohio state. Is that going to like, you can have a good secondary that gets toasted by Ohio state's receivers. Like it, it just happens. Like Utah was good last year until they ran into that and, and, you know, lost some, some corners to attrition and whatnot. But yeah, I think the bigger thing for Notre Dame in that is you're going to get a chance to see right away how much room you have to make up, how much ground you got to continue climbing to get to that summit of college football that, you bet on Marcus Freeman being able to take you to. So I don't know that the, whatever the result is, let's say it's, you know, a loss. Like, I don't know that that's going to be a thing of, oh, well, he can't get him there. But, you know, I think there's definitely a chance you're leaving that game with, you know, Notre Dame losing by a couple of touchdowns and saying, well, here's where we know exactly what the biggest steps are and just how much of a gap there is and where what has to kind of close in there and what you got to do to make it up to, to get to that kind of spot. It's, probably the best way to put it is it's a measuring stick game. And I think there's a lot of value in that and long-term as far as, all right, it gives you right away one game, a sense of exactly the things you have to continue to keep adding, keep developing, keep strengthening, keep closing to try to get closer to that summit that seemingly keeps raising every year. So a lot, a lot of value in that. So maybe because of that, you know, I'd say Notre Dame, but then again, like, you know, if you're Ohio State coming in as preseason number two at worst, probably yeah. really thinking national title, really feeling good about the, the tweaks you made on, on defense, really feeling good about how potentially potent the offense can be. Yeah, it, it is a big deal for as far as adding a potentially big win on the resume there. So, yeah, I, I think it's really important for both of them, honestly. And I'm not sure there's a you know an obvious one or the other there. Yeah, well, it's going to have ramifications one way or the other. It's 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 a great 
college football opener. You agree with that, right? I mean, wow. Absolutely. These are the kind of openers on campus to storied teams, all that. Yeah. You want to see every single year and and not, you know, in a football NFL dome or whatever, where, you know, you might have upper deck seats empty. No. Yeah. Put it on campus, do these home and homes. This is exactly the kind of thing you want to see on opening weekend and, and every year. Ladies and gentlemen, Patrick Engel from blueandgold.com. It's blueandgold.com, right? Do I have that right? That's right. And, uh, of course, the a part of the on3.com empire. You like the way I say that? Absolutely. That's what we're building. Patrick Engel, thanks for joining the Tim May Podcast, my man. And I will see you September the 3rd for sure. Looking forward to it, Tim. Thanks. And, ladies and gentlemen, until next week, this is the Tim May Podcast. We'll see you then. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.